Thanks for joining us on the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor at Hillside. And this is a special recording of a Bible study that we're currently doing. We are doing a study of what the Bible has to say about the role of women in the church called Know Your Role. As a Foursquare church, we are an egalitarian church, and so we will be looking at this sensitive issue through that lens. Join us for the journey. I promise it will be rewarding. do is we're going to try and tackle all of the these topics, everything that we've got to talk about tonight. We're going to try to tackle it all in three sessions. Um, and the way that it'll go down, it'll be something sort of like this, if everything goes according to plan. Um, session one, tonight we're just going to t- give a basic overview of the different schools of thought on women in the church and and give a basic overview of, of the qualifications for leadership that is as you know the women are as we talk about this really it's it's women occupying spaces of leadership in the church so i'm going to talk about what the bible has to say about the qualifications for people who occupy those spaces and then lastly the last part of our time together tonight we are going to take a look at some specific instances inside scripture where women were given the mantle of leadership in different capacities just to highlight that they're there um next week or next time i guess not next week it'll be two weeks from tonight so the 28th i believe the next time we're together, we'll unpack some of some of the passages, some of the, the passages that are commonly used to restrict women in the rules of the church, specifically a couple passages from 1 Corinthians. Um, and, and we're also going to talk a little bit about how I prayed earlier. Scripture will say that approved workman knows how to rightly divide the word of truth. And so one of the things we're going to talk about is how to do that, how to rightly divide the word of truth. When we're reading scripture, how do we read scripture? How do we not read scripture? How do we understand what, what the Bible has to say? Um, and then in our last session together, um, we're going to tackle the passage, the big passage, the one that says, I do not permit women to have authority over men. We, we will come together and we will spend a good long time unpacking that passage and what it has to say. And it takes a long time to to, to wor- work through that, but we will get through the nitty gritty details of everything that the Bible has to say about that. And then we, what we will close our time with is looking at some of the passages that, that in, for me and demonstrate that there is no distinction between, between men and women when it comes to the roles that they're able to occupy inside the church. As we talk about the role of women specifically in the church, um, it, it is one of the great criticisms of the Bible, Scripture, and Christianity in general, that the Bible and many of its teachings are seen as, as potentially dangerous, um, potentially sexist, some people would say misogynistic, towards women. That, that throughout Scripture, we see places where women are looked at as property or rewards, servants, indentured, and seemingly not given a whole lot of rights or even respect in certain passages inside of scripture, that if they're not handled correctly, um, and, and certainly over the years, they haven't always been handled correctly, that there is the potential for these passages to be seen in a very difficult light. Verses like, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. That doesn't necessarily seem like an equal playing field, that husbands, all you got to do is love, but wives you got to submit. 
if they're not handled correctly, they, they don't seemingly make for a level playing field. And we're going to talk about verses like where Paul says, I do not permit women to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, obviously, an issue like this is a hot button issue inside the church, where, where people who subscribe to different views of how to interpret and understand and apply these verses believe that, that people who may view things differently, maybe not placing a high value on scripture or the word of God, or maybe sitting in out and out denying of, of the word of God. Um, you will see people say things like, I read this, any church that accepts women as elder pastors is consequently changing the entire order of the family. A blanket disregard for people who may see the words of scripture differently but there's also people who see things just as strongly in the inverse as well. Shockingly, there's disagreement in Christian circles about how, what, how the Bible calls women to be involved. Now, Christians disagree with each other on just about everything. Um, that's why we have denominations. We have, or we are a four-square church, but... All of us come potentially from different backgrounds, denominational backgrounds, Alliance, Baptist, Evangelical Free, Pentecostal. Who knows where all of us come from? But there's literally hundreds of denominations. And each one of these denominations exists because at some point, some contingent of people decided that the difference between their theology and, and everyone else's theology on some issue was enough that they needed to be split from everyone else to form their own group. And then on top of, of the denominations, there's also countless non-denominational and independent churches where at some point somebody has said, we're going to do our own thing. And so we have all of these different divisions inside of our faith, countless, almost too many, many to count. And there's a great, there are a great many issues that some people think are settled. And others, they're not so sure whether or not they actually are settled. And some think that they're settled just in the opposite direction that the other people think is settled, that, that we have people who say this issue is settled, but they say it from two, two different directions. But as I said earlier, we, we are a four-square church. The, the four-square gospel church of Canada is our denomination. And because of our denominational affiliation, the history of our denomination at least partly informs where we stand on this issue. See, the four-square church was founded by a woman, Amy Semple McPherson. Um, she was actually born in Canada, in Salford, Ontario, um, but she moved to Ontario, or not, sorry, not Ontario, she moved to California, where she planted a church. She planted Angelus Temple um, in Los Angeles in 1923, and she began the Foursquare Church out of there. At the time when she planted, it was the largest freestanding building in all of California. It was one of the first ever mega churches, and she was a woman from Canada who started a denomination. Obviously, that has to give us some kind of context for where we as a denomination stand on an issue like this. It's pretty hard to be started by a woman and then be like, no girls allowed except for the girl who started it, but now she's not allowed anymore either. That that informs where, where we at least 
at least part of where we see ourselves on an issue like this. But at least for me, I don't find myself on where or where I do in my belief on something like this, simply because it's convenient to my denominational history that somehow, well, because I'm four square, I guess this is how I have to feel that that's, that's not what my where this comes from for me. But as we start out, I want to make one thing very clear. One of the thing, key things that, that in dealing with issues like this that we have to always hold in the forefront of our minds is to walk in humility. Even on important issues and touchstone issues like gender equality, gender equality matters. Being a women or women being equal partners in ministry matters. But while, while the Bible isn't always as clear as we would like it to be on some issues, the Bible is very clear on how we're to handle ourselves when we disagree with a brother and sister in the Lord. What does the Lord require of us? Micah will say, walk humbly, that, that we are to hold ourselves with humility. And it's also vital to remember that as much as I believe what I'm going to talk to you about, I believe what I'm going to be sharing with you. I believe that this is the, the right way, the, the rightly divided word of truth. As much as I think this is what God's heart is in all of this for us, and that, that the truth is there are smarter people than me who agree with me, and there's smarter people than me who disagree with me. There are people who have studied scripture for longer that will say, yes, Brad, you are correct. And there's people who have studied scripture for longer that will say, no, you are not correct. And so I'm going to share with you from a certain perspective what I believe the Bible teaches. And as accurate as I believe them to be, we need to be aware that there are other people who may find this inaccurate. But if we're to walk in humility, we are able to discuss and learn from each other well. Now, in defining the views of, of how women are seen in church and where people would see women fitting in church, there, there are some easy, there are some basic places, some, some common places that many churches look to, to inform how they see things. Uh, places like 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that will say, verses 34 and 35, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. Verse 35, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read one verse out of this before, but we'll read it in a little greater context now. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, 
holiness, and propriety. So these, these are some of the common passages, and we're going to tackle both of these plus uh, some other ones as we, as we move forward in the, in the coming weeks. But you see, you have verses like this that seem to be very clear about what Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would have to say on this issue of, of understanding how Scripture views women and their place inside the church. So in light of reading these verses, we need to take some time to see what do these verses say? What, what do they mean? How do I apply them? And then how do we walk out these verses as a church and as a faith? So where I think we, we can begin, or a good place to, to begin to unpack some of this, is to begin to look at the traditional ways that the church has interpreted these verses or, or applied these verses to inform women's roles within the church. Really, um, historically, inside the church, there, there's three sort of philosophies or understandings of how, how women would be in the church. The first would be what we would call hierarchical. Men and women, hierarchical, a, hierarch, a hierarchical church. That's a hard one to get out. Men and women would say men and women are created to operate in different spheres of ministry inside the church. Women are not permitted to serve as deacons, elders, pastors, and we'll talk more about what the Bible has to say about those in a moment. They're not permitted to serve communion, to teach men, to lead worship, to pray, or speak inside of church services. This is, is what most people would consider to be the most conservative or most restrictive view of women in church. Ultimately, women are not given any places of any kind of public authority. Um, so that would be hierarchical. The next would be complementarian. In a complementarian church, men and women are partners in many areas of ministry. M women and men are encouraged and equipped to fulfill many ministries and offices within the church, with the exception of the office of elder or pastor, which they say has a scriptural mandate to be male. Issues like worship leading, or women interacting in the Sunday service in leadership can vary inside of complementarian church models. And because of the tension, women are often encouraged to focus on building ministries for other women and for children. That the idea would be that, that in, inside of a complementarian church, that there's, there's, a, a, you know, there, there's, not a, there's black and white, but then there's a lot of gray depending on the church, that, that women are not allowed to serve at the very top of the pyramid, but then kind of depending on the church and depending on the, the, the don, denominational bylaws and how the church feels about certain things and the language they use that sometimes you won't have, you might have a, a worship coordinator that could be a woman, but not a worship pastor, or potentially women are encouraged to, to be a kids ministry pastor because technically you're not overseeing men, so you don't have any authority over men, they're just boys, um, or, or, or women's ministry, because there's no men invited to women's ministry. And so, so inside of a complementarian view, you would say men and women are both equipped to serve in leadership inside the church, but depending on how the individual church would look at the idea of women and how, the, how their denomination would allow them, they would see women in only certain aspects of the church and de de depending on the church, a church may say we're a complementarian church, but restrict women more than another church that would say we're a complementarian church, or they may say, or they may have less restrictions than another complementarian church. 
Now, the last view is egalitarian. And you can always remember which one it is that supports women because gal is in the name. But uh, what an egalitarian church would be, they, they would say men and women are partners together in every area of ministry. All ministries and offices inside the church are open to men and women, including elders and pastors and lead pastors. Gender is not a relevant distinction for excluding any person from any church office. So, so those are typically, and you can kind of see why those would typically be the three. It's sort of no girls, some girls, all girls would be kind of the, the progression. And the middle one is a little harder to nail down exactly because it is much more church and denominationally specific, but essentially a hierarchical church would say women are not involved in leadership. A uh, complementarian would say in some places it would be okay. An egalitarian church would say anywhere and everywhere, come on in. Um, now, obviously, as, as we as a modern day church, um, because we're in the modern age, um, we have lots of different job descriptions and titles potentially that would exist inside of a church. And the Bible doesn't have a job description for each one. Um, there is no biblical job, job description for what a kid's pastor is to do. There is no biblical job description for what a, a worship pastor or a family pastor or a senior's pastor or, or a kid's pastor. That, that There's not a place where we can turn inside of scripture to find a specific job description for each one of the ways that we may staff a church. Um, they break down the rules inside of a church a little differently. And then all the roles we, we have find their way outside of, of what scripture would have to so what any church would have, find their way out of what scripture would have to say. So there are three or two, sort of depending on how you want to divide them up, places in scripture for ministry inside the church. Um, you would have deacons, you would have elders, and you would have pastors, or you might have deacons and elder pastors that, that you might, depending on, on the church and on the denomination, you, you some places divide up elders and pastors, and some people lump them together. Some churches may not have a senior pastor, but they would have a lead elder and who would serve as the senior pastor. Um, but so you, but you'd have deacons, elders, and pastors or pastor elders, but typically, even if you have the pastor elders, you would always have a head elder that would function ultimately as, as the pastor of the church. And the Bible does list, list off the qualifications for each of these positions. Um, so the first position we'll, we'll, or we'll take a look at is deacons. Um, so there, there are three, three roles of deacons is the first one. Biblically, um, inside of our church, a deacon would probably equate to something like a ministry coordinator or something like that. Somebody who would be giving oversight to a ministry that would be giving leadership to a ministry that, that Maria serves as our prayer coordinator. And so in that sense, she would be a deacon inside side of our church. Um, you could call them like the hands of leadership, that it's, it's the people who do things, that get things done inside the church. The Bible gives the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And so what it says there, and I'm not going to put all those slides up because I knew if I was started to push the button too many times, it was going to skip and then I'd never find my way back. Um, but the Bible gives the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. It says, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, 
not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must hold faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So here, it specifically mentions women in the context of deacons. That they talk about the qualifications for deacons and talk about women, and then he comes back to talking about deacons. That, that we, can, we can read through there and see that women are included inside of the list. And, and we can read in Romans chapter 16, there's a, a woman named Phoebe who Paul directly references as being a deacon. Now, still hierarchical churches would say that women can't serve in these roles, that, that they would draw the line even on the other side of this. Um, and they would say that this is not, that these aren't even places for women, but complementarian and egalitarian churches would say that, that this is, this is where women, women can be involved. Um, so, so that's, that's sort of the qualifications for, for a deacon. Elders would be uh, pe uh, people who, who give oversight, leadership, direction, vision, to the church, so not to pick on Maria again, but she's here and she answers all of these boxes. She also serves on our church council, which would serve in, in our church right now as, as part of our eldership team. And so to find the qualifications of elders, those who lead the church, we would look to Titus chapter one. Um, that's where, where the most clear line for, for, for what we would define as elders would be Titus chapter one, verses five through nine say this, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, nor pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute all those who oppose it. Now, biblically, as we read this, there was no specific place that women are forbidden to be elders. There, there is no, no girls allowed verse that we read in there. But when the qualifications for elders are given here, they're only given to men. The, the only pronouns that are used are masculine pronouns. And there is no verse where they include any kind of a feminine pronoun. It's just male. Women are not excluded, but men are only included, if that makes sense. And then, so, so a passage like this, then coupled with a, a scripture like we read earlier, 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2.12, where, where Paul says, I do not permit women to have authority over men, have led many to draw the line here, that, that this is where the line exists, that women could serve as deacons, they're specifically mentioned, but cannot serve as an elder, as that qualifies as too much authority, that women are not mentioned within the passage here.
but the qualifications, what, what I would say is the qualifications listed here are not necessarily uniquely male. You could change the, the male wording to female and it would all make sense. And I want to be careful about changing things inside of scripture to make it fit our viewpoint because that's a dangerous practice to get into. But if we read this and we read, an elder must be blameless, faithful to her husband, a woman whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient, a sincere, or since an overseer manages God's household, she must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, she must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. She must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that she can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute all those who oppose it. The heart and the message of these qualifications has not changed. And there's no role that's listed there that simply being female would disqualify a woman from holding it. That, that it's not uniquely male to be hospitable. It's not uniquely male to be blameless, to be faithful to their spouse, to, to raise your children properly, to be blameless. It's not uniquely male that, that that's not a God-ordained office that a man holds to, to, to say that that's why women aren't allowed. This is why I would say that comp, or sorry, uh, there's no role that simply being female would disqualify a woman from holding. This is why I would say that a complementarian view, that this is where they would draw the line, and they would say something like, some girls allowed, sometimes. Often people who hold this view will see places like we talked about earlier, women's ministry and kids' ministry is an exception to this rule because technically there are no men in these ministries, which can be why there's an unspoken expectation often inside of church that women are prominent in roles inside of these ministries in most churches. That, that when a woman would like to be involved, often she's directed to, well, our kids' ministry coordinator is over there, or, or our women's ministry coordinator is over here. Not to say that women can't be involved in those, they're tremendously gifted, but sometimes we default to this being the places where women need to be involved. So women can hold a position if the church leadership can figure out a loophole where there is no men for them to, to have authority. That, that's sort of the, the way that, that this can be seen. Now, the third office that is available, depending on how you break it up, whether you want to say that this is a, the office of pastor or it's the office of the head elder, um, that you're overseeing the overseers, that this is the, the, the person who gives oversight to everything. Um, and this is, the, this is the office where a firm line is drawn between complementarian and egalitarian views. You cannot be complementarian and support women in this degree of ministry. This is, this is pure egalitarian territory, that a complementarian church, wherever they sit on many positions, this will be where their line is drawn. And 1 Timothy 3 is where we see the cleanest description of an overseer or a pastor and where that comes from. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. And it will say, now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, nor not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert 
or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So a couple of things again about these two or the, the, this set of verses. Um, first, women are not expressly forbidden from holding the office. There is again no, and women need not apply. However, much of the language that is used here is consistent with the biblical role of a man. Um, in the last section that we talked about elders, we, we talked about how you could simply switch the pronouns from male to female, and they wouldn't change anything in the biblical qualification sense. With this, with this position, we, there is uh, some things that are a little different. The, the language here is much more biblically male with the talk of the head of the household managing his family, that does put more of a focus on this being a role for men. So what we have is we have these three offices of areas inside of the church, and, and this would be where, where all of the positions that we have today would, would flow out of, that, that you would have your, your ministry coordinators, and then you'd have your elders, which you'd probably lump like the if you were to have assisting pastors and that kind of thing fall under would be elders. And then you would have your, your head office, your, your head pastor, lead pastor, overseer. Um, and, and one that seemingly includes women for sure. They're mentioned deacons, although some churches would still, still refuse women here. One that you can see women being excluded from, if you wanted to, to see it that way as elders. And this is where many churches would draw their line. And one that pretty directly seems to exclude women, the idea of pastor, overseer, head elder. Where some less traditional churches only fear to tread. And that's us. We are a four-square church, and we, fear, we, we don't fear to tread there, I guess. Is, is we, we walk boldly into the idea that women can occupy all three roles inside the church, that women can be deacons, women can be ministry coordinators, women can serve as elders and assisting pastors, and women can serve as lead pastors, women can serve as unit supervisors, women could serve as the president of the denomination, if that was where we wanted to go. There is no office, there is no position, there is no piece of authority that would be denied to a woman simply because she is a woman. Now, for most churches, 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit women to have authority over men, is a pretty clear and direct instruction for the issue. It's all you need to know. That's the discussion that needs to happen. It's the beginning, the middle, and the end of it. Disagree if you want to, but you're going to be tearing Scripture apart. And we're going to unpack the idea of that over the next couple of times where we're going to dive deep into scripture and discover what what it is that that scripture is actually well what we believe that scripture is actually saying to us one thing that is very clear from scripture though that if we remove ourselves from reading these verses specifically in context but we look at the story of scripture the narrative of scripture is that god used women in positions of authority um, it would be certainly naive and lame to claim that any, it was anywhere near as many as there were men, that to say, oh yeah, well, so it was 50-50 men and women inside of scripture. No, it wasn't. Um, it was predominantly male, but there were women, and but it, there were women both in the Old Testament and women inside of the New Testament that were used in positions of authority. And we can find in the Old Testament, oh, here we go, we can find the Old Testament, Miriam was a prophet 
and she led the nation in worship. And you can read that, I wrote that in Exodus chapter 15. Deborah was chosen by God to lead as a prophet, judge, and even lead the men, lead the army into battle. And that story is found in Judges 4 and 5. She wasn't just a woman passing out advice, but a strong, wise, and obedient follower of God, and notably both a prophet and a judge, that, that she served in both of those offices. And what's interesting about that is there's only two people in all of scripture that held both of those titles, that were a prophet and a judge. One was Deborah, and the other one was Samuel. Those were the only two people inside of scripture who held both of those positions. When King Josiah needed to inquire of the Lord, he went to the prophetess, Huldah, to hear what the Lord would have from him. And then we read about Isaiah's wife, Aya, and he referred to her as a prophetess. And you, So you can read about Huldah in 2 Kings 22 or 2 Chronicles 34, and you can read about Isaiah speaking about his wife in, in Isaiah chapter 8. Now, one thing that's really important here, because you may say, None of those people were pastors. None of the, you know, the, those, those were, we didn't talk about a prophet. We didn't talk about a prophetess. But um, we've used this term prophetess, and it's important to understand and remember that in the Old Testament, being a prophet was an important deal. They were the people who heard from God, that, that God didn't just speak to anyone and everyone, oh, sorry, everybody on Zoom, I guess the text showed up weird, so you get a double view of everything all right in here. Um, but um, it's important to understand that these were people who heard from God. The priests in the temple, when there was a temple, a tabernacle, whatever, they were not charged with hearing from God. That wasn't a priest's job, and that wasn't the priest's role. The priest's job was to perform rituals and the duties that went along with the temple, but they were not charged with hearing from God. That's why we read about the importance of the prophets in the Old Testament, but we don't read about necessarily the same importance of the priests in the Old Testament. We do read about priests, and they were important, but they were not charged with hearing from God. So when a woman was a prophetess, that would be a big deal because she was speaking on behalf of God. She was speaking with the authority of God, an authority that would have been over men. That, that somehow because the, the message came from a woman, there wasn't this exception for men in all of Israel, that they could somehow say, well, I don't have to listen to that because it came from a woman. Is When they spoke on behalf of God, whether it was a man or a woman, you were to listen to that. And then we, we can read in the book of Joel, that when God speaks through the prophet Joel and giving him a prophecy about the coming Holy Spirit, God says this about what's going to happen in Joel chapter 2. He says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Oh, I think I missed a verse. Oh, I did. Sorry, I missed verse 28. It says, and afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Then verse 29, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. When God talks about the coming Holy Spirit, he doesn't differentiate between men and women. He says he's going to do the same thing in both genders, not men this and something else sort of like it, but only for the women, women. 
And then if we move on to the New Testament, if we move on to, to what we see in the New Testament, um, jumping to the ministry of Jesus in the early church, women were, were used as profound tools in God's hands. If we look at how Jesus interacted with women, he saw significant value in them, often sharing noteworthy doctrinal truths with women. He proclaimed to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life that he spoke to her about his, his power. In John 4, Jesus, and, and there's so many layers to this story, but Jesus speaks with a Samaritan woman at the well, and it wasn't an ordinary conversation. By speaking with her, Jesus was break, breaking through all kinds of societal expectations and shattering misconceptions. Even the disciples were amazed that he spoke with her. And this is the first person that Jesus reveals that he's the Messiah to. That of all the people he could have spoken to in all of Israel, all of the important prominent men, he shares this with a Samaritan woman. Now there's multiple levels on which that's significant and incredible and wild, but we want to just focus on the fact that it was to a woman that he spoke this. And it was this woman he chose to, to take the gospel to her village, an a female evangelist to people often rejected by Jews. It was also women who were, who were present at the birth of the Savior and at the cross when he died, and the, the first to see him after the resurrection were women. And it's interesting to note of that because women were not viewed in society at the time as reputable witnesses, that, that a woman couldn't give testimony because she wasn't trustworthy enough to be able to give testimony, but the, the women who gave testimony to the resurrected Jesus, or the people who gave testimony to the resurrected Jesus, the first person, the first people were women. While the men often scattered, it was the women who stayed close to Jesus, and it was the commitment of the women that offered them the, uh, uh, it was this commitment that offered them the opportunity to be a part of history. Those that Jesus used while on earth were just the beginning of playing a significant role inside of Christianity. There are women church leaders all throughout the New Testament. If we, we look to Acts chapter 1, the disciples were gathered together in the upper room in Acts before the coming of the Holy Spirit. We read that it wasn't just a room full of men. Um, in Acts chapter 1, it says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present, and then it lists off a whole bunch of men, Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And you know what happens from there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly, the sound of a blowing, violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Oh, we'll stop there. As the Holy Spirit enabled them. There's no indication inside Scripture that women took the day off. Um, if anything, we, we can see from the faithfulness of the women in this story that we can believe that they were there. And in fact, when we look at this moment in the light of what we just read in 
uh, Joel chapter two, I would argue that it's very safe to assume that women would have been present so that this prophecy would have been fulfilled inside of that moment that when God said, I will pour out my spirit on sons and daughters, that he wouldn't have removed the daughters from that equation, but that in order for that prophecy to be fulfilled, the presence of women would have been necessary. And even as we go back to the writings of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is actually a passage that we're going to look at next week when, or next time when we're together, um, but it's a passage that many look at, as, at, look at as down on women, and we're going to unpack what Paul has to say here. But in this passage, and this, this is a spoiler alert for next time, because ultimately this is one of the conclusions we're going to come to, um, he gives instructions on women having their head covered and having long hair when they pray and prophesy inside of a church service. So we're going to read about how Paul will say, women should remain quiet in church, but when they pray and prophesy, there seems to be a disconnect there. That if a woman can pray and prophesy inside of a church, how then can she follow the command to be quiet and not say anything and she shouldn't speak? And if she wants to say anything, she should talk to her husband at home later from church. How do we reconcile those two things? That's what we're going to talk about next time. But what's important to note in that is that Paul doesn't say, you've got women prophesying and praying inside of your church. Tell them to knock it off. They're supposed to be quiet. Paul gives some instruction on how he thinks that, or how he, how he should see, and through the, through the Holy Spirit gives, gives instruction on what it's to look like when this is taking place, and we'll unpack what it means that women should have their head covered, and, and he'll talk about how women shouldn't have short hair, but men shouldn't have long hair, and all of these things, and we'll unpack what all of that means, and what Paul's getting at there, but what's important to see is he doesn't say, don't have women talk, he just says, when they're going to talk, this is how, how you should do it. We will talk about this passage, um, but this is what it says. It says, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonored God is the same as having her head shaved. But he doesn't say every woman who prays or prophesies dishonors God. But every woman who prays or prophesies in this certain way will give dishonor to God. And so we're gonna, and we're gonna unpack all of that next time. But what I want to highlight here for you is that Paul does not admonish the women for praying and prophesying in church. He has no issue or instruction with the office that they were, they were filling inside the church. He doesn't give them trouble for what they were doing, just the way they were doing it with their head uncovered, which had to do with a heart attitude. And, and that's what we'll talk about next time. It had to do with sort of a, a respect and love for the people around them that we don't understand inside of our cultural context because it doesn't, what we understand as a woman with her head uncovered meant something totally different back then. But also in the New Testament, we see Phoebe. And we mentioned her earlier, Paul, she's mentioned by Paul in Romans, Romans 16.1 to be a servant or deaconess who taught inside the church. There was a woman named Junia, was considered by Paul, or was considered outstanding by Paul, and was mentioned among the circle of the apostles in Romans 16, 7. Chloe in 1 Corinthians 11, Nympha in Colossians 4, 15, Amphia in Philemon 1, 2, each one, chapter 1, well, Philemon verse 2, I guess, all of these women led churches. 
that they're all mentioned as leaders of house churches. Priscilla was both a church planter, and we can see that that's mentioned in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, and someone highly regarded by Paul. And he recognizes both Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, as his partners in ministry together in Romans chapter 16 and again in first or in first Corinthians 16. He doesn't recognize Aquila and then give a little footnote to his wife, but he recognizes them both inside of this role. Tabitha was a woman who led a benevolence ministry. Acts chapter 9, verse 36, we'll talk about her. And in Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, Philip's four daughters were all identified as prophets. So these are all women who we can read about inside of the pages of the New Testament, and many of them in relationship with the Apostle Paul, who are all mentioned as leaders, as people with responsibility, as people with authority, that would have had authority over men in certain circumstances inside of the church. And in Romans chapter 16, when Paul is closing his letter to the Romans, he lists off 26 different people. It's one of those passages that we skip over a lot because it's just a gigantic list of names. But he lists off 26 different people that were involved with him in ministry, and at least eight of the people referenced inside of that passage are women. Um, some of the other people, I don't know enough about the the, or the etymology, entomology, whatever the word is, of, of Roman names to be able to definitively say, but at least eight of them are listed as, as women. What this shows us is the tremendous influence that women had in the early church, not merely as bystanders or also rands, not merely as the wife of someone important, but key figures and important figures. Paul could not describe the church in Rome without mentioning the significant role that women played. What we can see from so much of this is that God used women. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, women ministered. Women were in positions of, the, of authority. The Holy Spirit was prophesied by God to be given to women, and the Holy Spirit were there when the or and women were there when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And even Paul, as uh, who many would point to as the real driving force behind the theology of women not being involved in ministry, was at least not corrective of women of praying and prophesying inside a church service. So, ultimately, as we draw our time to close this evening. It seems as if we're left with a question that doesn't have a finely tuned answer. As we look at this question of what does the Bible say about women in leadership of the church, we seem to be left with some gaps in exactly how all of this works. We have some verses that seem very clear in terms of their expectation and their interpretation about what women and their place in the church should be. But then as we look at women in scripture, there seems to be some examples of women filling lots and lots of roles, some that absolutely would have had them exercising authority over men. So how do we reconcile all of this? How do we reconcile all that we know so far? That's for next time. This is, we've been at this for an hour, and so we need to be done. But that's the next time we're together. Next time we're together, we will begin the process of looking at some of the passages that seemingly stand in the way of the egalitarian view of women in leadership. We will unpack them. We will understand what is going on around them that causes these passages to say what they say and the lessons that we can take away from them and apply to our churches and to ourselves.
today. That's what we will begin to do next time, diving into a couple passages from 1 Corinthians. And then the last time we're together, we'll tackle 1 Timothy chapter 3, the big one. And that one will take a while. But that's all I'm going to say. So I'm going to just take a moment and then I'll pray together. And then I don't know if you know, it's not the typical Bible study where you might say, well, what did the Lord speak to you in all of that? Oh, I really was ministered to when you said, um, but if you have questions or comments or anything like that, we can, we can do that as well. But why don't we take a moment and pray together? God, I thank you that your word is a light unto our path, that, that you, your word is, is true, that your word is, is honest, that your word never changes. And God, I thank you that we can turn to the pages of scripture to look for leading and guidance inside of our lives and inside of, of our churches. And, and, we, and thank you that we have the opportunity to come together and discuss and look at scripture and look at what the wor your word has to say about how we are to interact with one another and the love that you have for each of us. And God, I just pray that as we've talked about so much tonight, may we be given the opportunity to digest this. And as we come together again to explore what the Bible would have to say in even greater detail next week or next time we're together, God, would you continue to stir up inside of us this willingness and this openness to discover what the Bible would say to us, what you would say to us through your Bible. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HillsideAirdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go.